You're listening to the Bridge Between Podcast, a weekly exploration of how a family history project transformed into a search for understanding, truth, and the points of connection between people. In dialoguing with others, we begin to understand ourselves. My name is Cisco Ramos, and this is The Bridge Between. Good morning. It is Thursday, March 12th, 2020. This week's episode is about Las Americas before Christopher Columbus. History tells us that the most common motifs associated with Spanish colonization are destruction, birth, death, delusion, amnesia, greed, survival, subjugation, exploitation, religion, and reimagination. The Spanish colonization of the Americas was violent. The underlying how it happened was never the full combination of guns, germs, and steel, as Jared Diamond suggests. The guns and steel were, were never enough to topple the Aztec and Incan empires. The Spanish arrived to the Americas and just waited until the germs kicked in. And by germs, I'm talking about smallpox and influenza. And once they took hold, they eventually overwhelmed the local population. By some estimates, germs accounted for the vast majority of the 90-95% to decline in the native population. In other words, it was primarily the germs. The Uruguayan writer Eduardo, Eduardo Galeano showed us this much in the open veins of Latin America. Charles Mann, the American author and journalist, essentially wrote a love letter to the American native populations in his book 1491, New Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus. I'm going to read three brief paragraphs about love and loss that, in my opinion, form the crux of what can be considered an American identity. And keep in mind, American here is an in quotes. And 1491, the book itself, has an endless reservoir of insight that is best captured in the book itself. To give you an idea about the size and scale of the Incan Empire, man writes, In 1491, the Inca ruled the greatest empire on earth bigger than Ming Dynasty China, bigger than Ivan the Great's expanding Russia, bigger than Songhai in the Sahel, or powerful Great Zimbabwe in West Africa tablelands, bigger than the cresting Ottoman Empire, bigger than the Triple Alliance, as the Aztec Empire is more precisely known. Bigger by far than any European state, the Inca domination extended over a staggering 32 degrees of latitude, as if a single power held sway from St. Petersburg to Cairo. I remember reading history books as a child in and out of school, and the only thing I remember learning is that the Americas were always presented as either being empty or devoid of people, which is not true, or the Americas were always perceived as being barbaric, which is also not true. And from an ideological perspective, it's much easier to justify conquest or expansion if no populations are there, as if what is being done is natural or logical. The Americas were filled with people. They weren't devoid of people. If one accepts that the Americas were populated, then the ideological argument crumbles because it forces you to ask an uncomfortable series of questions. Who was here? What happened? Where did they go? And why? Any kind of response, any kind of beginning, means that the speaker will eventually have to analyze themselves and account for their actions. 
It's much easier to say that the Americas were empty, that no one was present, than to say that our actions are the cause, that there is responsibility on our part. Nobody likes to look in the mirror. Much of the history that I've learned in school, I've had to unlearn. The Incan Empire at that time was populous, wealthy, large. It did not have the diseases that plagued Europe. This says more about Europe than it does about the Americas. The Americas largely didn't have those problems. The second insight is one that I remember hearing over and over again by friends and colleagues in southern Mexico. Quote, the Maya collapsed because they overshot the caring capacity of their environment. They exhausted their resource base, began to die of starvation and thirst, and fled their cities en masse, leaving them as silent warnings of the perils of ecological hubris. What is interesting when you visit archaeological sites in Mexico, whether that's Palenque, Tulum, or Chichen Itza, is how intact they are, the precision with which they were made, the thought it took to structure the cities. It's impressive when you think not only about how old they are, but the kind of shape they are in when compared to other structures that were built in and around the same time. The layout of the sites, the attention that was paid to design, and the celestial calendars. It's absolutely mind-bending. The third brief paragraph centers on cultural loss and the impossibility of creation after extinguishment. Cultures are like books, the anthropologist Claude Levi-Strauss once remarked, each a volume in the great library of humankind. In the 16th century, more books were burned than ever before or since. How many Homers vanished? How many Hesiods? What great works of painting, sculpture, architecture, and music vanished, or were never created? Languages, prayers, dreams, habits, and hopes, all gone. This is one of the harder parts of reading 1491. The impossibility of creation, always wondering what might have been, what might have flourished, what if. I don't like those two words because there's only an uncomfortable silence that follows them. The first person that comes to mind that has the language to describe this loss in any meaningful way, the insight to capture how this loss reverberates and hinders our ability to describe our reality, is Gabriel Garcia Marquez. El Gabo famously stated that the crux of our solitude is not having the language to describe our reality. And while the gap between El Gabo and 1491 is wide, I think the bridge between them is an understanding that literature and the arts are our best source for understanding culture and history, of that endless pursuit of meaning and truth. And just to put it crudely, if we don't have the language, if we've lost the possibilities of what might have been, if we've lost priceless cultural treasures, the histories, the knowledge, the philosophies, the wealth, maybe even a sense of collective or individual pre-Columbian self. If we've lost languages and people on a scale that is impossible to calculate or capture, the literature and the arts in many ways, they're all that we've got. They help fill in the gaps. They help provide a language. They help us to reimagine, to place a balm on an open wound. I spend a lot of time reflecting upon and thinking about the Americas 
because it only makes sense to start from where the wounds originate. How else can you heal? In a certain strange way, culture is one of the many things that people in the Americas know how to do better than anyone else. Our richness and depth, our complexity, our contributions, nuestra profundidad, is the reason why I don't despair in the face of so much loss. Culture is my guide for hope, for reimagining, for the building of possibility. Culture is what we produce. It remains long after we are gone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Bridge Between Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find me on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you'd like to reach out, you can email me at thebridgebetween at gmail.com. That's thebridgebtwn at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at thebridgebetween. That's thebridgebtwn. Thank you for listening.